Heisman Memorial Trophy is Joe Burrow. Louisiana State University, congratulations. Count every person's opinion from the last five years. There's no chance that I would be where I'm at right now. Welcome to episode three of the Average Joe's podcast. Busy episode today. We talk about the Giovanni Bernard release, what that means for the Bengals, what that means for the running back position. We talk about the Ring of Honor announcement, a long-awaited announcement from the Bengals, and fans could not have been more excited. Alec and I discuss who we would include in our Ring of Honor, and so much more about the voting process and who we think should get in. Then we discussed the defensive side of the ball, the second half of our draft breakdown. Last week we talked about the offense, we enthralled ourselves in the Team Chase versus Team Sewell debate. This week we talk about defense. Not as much to discuss there, but still a lot of fodder. Lots of talk about the defensive line, because the Bengals still need to add some pieces there. And lots of talk about the secondary. Who are they going to select as a dark horse late in the draft? Maybe some special teams guys from the defensive side of the ball. So let's get Alec in here and let's get this show on the road. Episode three starts now. All right, episode three, Mr. Grandin, how you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Just took a test. We'll see how that went, but it is what it is. It's a Friday. It is a Friday and yesterday's big news, Ring of Honor. Let's just start right away with it. What do you think about it? Uh, I think it's, well, first of all, it's long, long overdue. But I think the two inaugural candidates, or not candidates, but people who are in already, Munoz and uh, Paul Brown, I think, obviously, you know, two very deserving people. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Only two really Bengals organizational people that are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the only two people that are in the Hall of Fame uh, as Bengals representatives at the moment. Um, So not a surprise that those two guys are kind of the automatic inductions, as the Bengals social media team phrased it. Um, and then we get season ticket holders get to decide two more from a bevy of candidates. Um, I would imagine the, the kind of the top list of candidates probably includes Ken Anderson, Boomer, Ken Riley, um, maybe Chad Ochocinco, just, uh, kind of, kind of, what do you think about the voting process? What do you think about who the next two should be in? Well, so my, I guess, I don't know, my analysis and my opinion on it, I think that the older players should probably get in first because you got to think about if we did have a ring of honor, they would have already been in. Agreed, yes. So I think you go you go from, you know, 1969 first season, all the way, I mean, you, and then you just go back. So I think Ken Riley and Ken Anderson should get in first, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we only did our lifetime, so since – 1999 for you, 2000, we'll call it 2000. Who would be your first four from our lifetime? First four. Yeah, first four. Okay, this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, but 
I'd say Andy. I'd say AJ. I'd say Gino. And pro I mean, probably Chad Johnson. Th those are my four. Okay. I, I think that's a solid list. Um, personally, I, I would go, I mean, it's tough because there's, there's, there's probably like eight guys that you could go with, I think. And if you pick any of the four out of those eight, I think you would be totally justified in any of those picks. And those eight guys that I'm talking about are the four that you mentioned, yep. AJ, Gino, Andy, and um, Chad. And then I think you also could say TJ. You could, you could, you could say TJ. TJ, uh, Willie Anderson, who was kind of before our time as cognizant Bengal fans, but he not only might be the best right tackle um, in the last 20 years. Uh, I mean, the guy was, I think, like a five-time All-Pro. He he deserves lots of consideration, I think, in in our generation. Um, I would, I mean, I would say, obviously, kind of the beginning of our lifetime. But Corey Dillon is also up there. Um, apparently, I was. I was at the game that he broke the rushing record. I was, I was an infant. So I guess I don't remember that that well. So he would be the seventh guy. And then I think as an eighth guy, you know, I kind of talked about this last night. Uh, I, I was on sports talk with Lance McAllister and I asked him, um, Carson Palmer does deserve consideration as much as we, uh, as much as his exit was kind of, uh, kind of bad and, he exited on kind of unwelcome terms with Bengals fans. He does, des I think, deserve a lot of consideration, at least from the modern aspect of, of the Ring of Honor. Just, just kind of what do you think about Carson Palmer um, being in the Ring of Honor way down the road? And, and just kind of what do you think about that? Um, so my take on Carson, I think, you know, the exit was ugly. Yeah. But, I mean, as facts have come out, and we've talked about this before, I mean, it really wasn't his fault. You Definitely. know what I mean? Yep. So um, I think that if management could get over that, you know, and I don't, what I do think is I don't think it will happen in Mike Brown's lifetime. Cause I think definitely. there's a lot of people there. I definitely agree. But um, I think maybe, maybe down the road it could happen. Yeah. So I, I guess I didn't give my four, my four would be AJ, Chad, Willie. And then I would have a really tough time deciding between Corey Dillon and Carson Palmer. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and actually a guy I forgot to mention, I mean, we have to say Marvin Lewis, since our life began, he deserves consideration from 2000 to now. He is one of the, I think, one of the foremost influential members of the Bengals franchise. So I think at least if we only work from 2000 forward, there's a lot of guys that you could pick. But I think the two surest things um, to get immediate consideration once the, the past guys are honored i think the first two guys you'll see from our lifetime get honored will be willie and chad yeah i mean i think i think those two will be first yeah and then i mean eventually the day will come for, for gino and at least at least gino and aj yeah and we'll see if andy gets in but i definitely think andy will get in and obviously we're discussing way down the road because we don't even know if um if and when they're going to induct people i mean obviously the reds go every other year uh, we don't know what this is going to look like for the Bengals. We don't know if they're going to go four every year. Uh, we don't know if they're going to go two every year. Um, so if it's two every year, it, it could be five, six years before uh, Chad and, and Willie get their recognition. 
Um, I would hope that they do more just because it's been so long and you kind of want to get caught up to speed and then maybe slow yeah. it down to two. Yeah. But um, obviously that's way far off in the distance. The thing to, to remember is that this is a great step forward for the franchise because this is going to help our guys, Ken Anderson and Ken Riley specifically, it's going to help them get recognition that maybe propels them forward in hall of fame discussions in Canton. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously if you look at those two stats, you know, and their impact on the game at the time they played, there's no way that they should not be in the hall of fame. Definitely not. Ken Riley, 65 career interceptions. And, and obviously we weren't alive uh, for either of their professional careers. Um, But 65 interceptions during the time that Ken Riley was, was a pro is an insane number of interceptions. The fact that he's just still not in the hall of fame is befuddling to me. I just don't understand it. Yeah. It's top six in career interceptions of all time. So, yeah. So uh, uh, Ken Anderson and Ken Riley, I think definitely should be the next two. I think they definitely will be the next two, especially with the way the Bengals have structured the voting where you get more votes for the longer you've held season tickets. So if you've held season tickets since the beginning, your vote counts for 54 versus somebody like you or I, that maybe just buy season tickets starting this season, our vote only counts as one. So I like the way that they've done that. And I think that's going to encourage players from the past to get honored first, which I think is the right way to do it. I mean, yeah, that just fits our narrative of of what we just said. Over players get it first. Now, another on to another piece of news um, concerning a potential future Ring of Honor honoree, should be an honoree in, in, um, in my opinion. I don't know about you. Um, the Bengals announced, I believe it was Wednesday, maybe it was Tuesday, the, uh, the release of Giovanni Bernard, um, saving $4.1 million in cap space. Um, it comes at a strange time three weeks into free agency. You'd think they would have tried to do it earlier if they were going to use this money to sign somebody else. So at this point, I'm not sure what this means as far as reallocating that money goes, but nonetheless, losing a really great player in geo, uh, wishing him all the best. Uh, Just how do you, how do you think that this impacts the Bengals and and what they're doing going forward uh, as far as kind of cleaning house with all the Marvin guys and, and bringing in the new culture? Just, what, what do you think about what this means for the Bengals? So to be honest, I don't think this move is like a culture move because obviously he was great for the culture. I think this was a move because you're already paying Joe Mixon around 8 mil in cap hit. You're paying Gio's cap hit was 4.1 mil. So you're paying running backs 12 mil. That's, you know, quite a bit in the NFL. Yeah, the Bengals, so prior to the Giovanni Bernard release, the Bengals had the highest cap percentage allocated to running backs. And that just doesn't make sense in today's NFL. No, it doesn't because you got to think about it. Samaje P. Ryan's not bad. You know, Travion's not bad. And then you can you can draft another rookie. So I feel like they they are banking on Joe Mixon being healthy. Definitely. With, with this move. Yes, definitely. And I don't know if that's a smart strategy. We'll see. Joe could come out and play all – oh, it's 17 games. He could come out and play all 17 games uh, this year, and, and I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, the, the questionable part of this move for me is the timing. If you were going to do this, why not do it earlier in free agency? Um, cause it feels at this point, like it's it, it, because of the comp pick formula and how that works. If they had waited until 
after the draft to cut Geo, it would have made more sense because that's when the cap would be freed up for them to sign a free agent that doesn't affect the comp pick formula. This is a puzzling point in time for this move to take place. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. I really don't understand the timing of the move because you just said the comp, the comp strategy pick and things like that. But I mean, there are still surprisingly a lot of good free agents left. Yeah. So now I know that the Bengals, you know, management has said that they probably won't sign anybody until after the draft. Yeah. Where, what needs they address, but I do understand it from a money perspective, but I don't understand it. Like you said, from a timing perspective, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. The timing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, because just, uh, just to reiterate the point I made at the beginning of this uh, discussion, it would, it would have made 10 times the sense to do this at the beginning of free agency, both as an olive branch to geo so that he could find a spot and as a money sense so that the Bengals could use that money at the beginning wave of free agency. Now, obviously we're not entirely knowledgeable of the Bengals uh, ways in which they operate, but this to me, what it looks like is they may be a name to watch here, I think, is Ryan Kerrigan. They brought him in for a visit a couple of weeks ago. It feels like he's going to get a deal for 4 or $5 million, similar to that Tack McKinley range that he got with the Browns. So I think that this move might have been that freeing up that cap space to bring him in. But I guess we'll see. I'm not entirely certain. What, and, what I, and to be honest, with the current state of the Bengals, I would much rather them have a Ryan Kerrigan than a Giovanni Bernard. It makes entirely more sense because as we've seen in the NFL, you can draft a running back. And as we talked about last week, even before they released GL, it was likely that they were going to take a running back on day three. And I think that this just solidifies that uh, fact even more. I mean, I think you're looking at a guy in the fourth round, if, if one of those top four guys falls into their lap at, I think it's pick one, 109, 111, something like that. If one of those top guys falls into their lap at that pick, I think you're looking at almost certainly um, a, a running back coming off the board to the Bengals with their first pick of the fourth round. And, and those top four guys, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, and Michael Carter. Um, if any of those four guys is available at, at, in the fourth round, uh, I think that's where the Bengals go. Otherwise, I think it's a fifth round pick uh, that comes in and, and adds a little versatility to that room. No, I, I agree. And I, I, I think it's smart because I think Smash JP runs, you know, decent. And I think Trayvon Williams is decent. But I think that, you know, running back, you know, the, 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 the shelf is not long, you know, the, the long term. Um, you know, durability for running back in the NFL is not long. So I, I think really, I mean, I wouldn't mind bringing a new running back every year, you know, yeah. like a running back, try to sit, you know, try to back up Joe Mixon. But uh, there's been a lot of good running backs drafted in the third, fourth rounds over the last five years. So, yeah. I mean, one of the best running backs in the league last year was an undrafted guy, James Robinson out of, in uh, Jacksonville out of Illinois state. Illinois state. He was, I mean, he was really good in college though. Yeah. But I mean, he, yeah, I mean, now I, I don't know if the Bengals will get that lucky with an undrafted <laughs> guy being third in the NFL in rushing yards, but um, I think the Bengals do a good job of, of with running backs. I really do. Yeah. And to your point about the shelf life on running backs, not being very long. Um, there is a stat out there that um, the, 
the percentage of running backs having rushing, having years where they rush for over 1200 yards significantly like falls off a cliff after they turn 25. Hmm. Joe Mixon turns 25 after this season. And the convenient aspect of, of this timing is that the Bengals have a very nice out in the Joe Mixon contract after this season. So if we see another season of Joe Mixon only playing half the games, uh, as we said on the pot a couple of weeks ago, I could definitely see the Bengals clearing that contract off the books at the end of this year and kind of kind of restarting at, at running back. And, you know, I can see that as well. Instead of what I don't want the situation to become is we love Joe. I love Joe Mixon. I mean, he's a, he's a good guy for the organization. You know, he's really turned it around since, you know, those yes. pre-draft stories, yes. I believe. Which we condemn. Which we condemn, absolutely, 100%. And he... I think that I don't want the Bengals to get into the situation like of the Zeke Elliott where yes. you pay him and then he like right after you pay him he runs a four nine forty like I, I just I just can't I I don't I don't I don't want that to happen so if that means this, this is a big big year for Joe Mixon it's a big year and I think he knows that yes now uh, just one more note on the Gio Bernard release before we kind of move on to talking defense in the draft. Uh, the place where this really hurts is pass protection because Giovanni Bernard's a really good blocker in the backfield. Oh yeah, I mean he's for be, only being for only being five eight. Yeah, he's he's not a big guy. I mean he puts his body on the line. Yeah, I mean you saw that from day one. Yeah, that's the underrated part of this move, and that's another part where I kind of don't understand. They must – they – I will give the Bengals the benefit of the doubt here. They must have a guy in the draft that they think can step into the Bernard role because you do not get rid of one – probably one of your greatest leaders in the locker room. You don't get rid of that, and you don't get rid of your best pass-protecting running back without having a solid plan in place. I think they have identified some people later in the draft that could – you know, have a higher ceiling than Gio at the, at the moment. So I agree. And you never know with Frank Pollock changing up the blocking scheme up front, they may not be using the running back as a pass protector that much this year anyways, but nonetheless, it hurts to lose your best pass protector. No, it, it, it obviously doesn't. I'm not saying Joe can't protect because he, Joe Mixon's pretty big for running back. Yeah. But there's just something about Gio, not just Gio's knowledge of, you know, blitzes and, Offensive line play, I think I think it does hurt them in that aspect. I agree with you. Yeah. And then uh, kind of just to wrap up the news cycle from the past week, um, we saw a video. We forgot to mention this last week. Saw a video last week, uh, Bengal social media tweeting out a video of Joe Burrow. Look, looks like he's going out to throw. So that's a great step uh, in the rehab process for him. Um, once again, all signs continue to point to him stepping on the field um, on September 12th. And, and or 13th whenever they open the season Sunday or Monday uh, and him being ready to take those first snaps uh, of the season. So, so that's great to see. Yeah. I, I mean, anything positive Joe Burrow news is, is a good day for Bengals fans. So, yep. Uh, and then Panay Sewell's pro day was happening as we were recording last week um, and his official numbers and measurements got released uh, after our episode was, was done and recorded. Uh, had a pretty good pro day, I think. Um, at this point, to me, it kind of it kind of looks like he's solidified 
to be the Bengals pick at five. Um, I've said to multiple people, maybe including you, to me, I think they're kind of throwing up the smoke screen on Jamar Chase. Um, I think Panay Sewell is going to be the pick. Um, just what are your thoughts uh, after seeing the official numbers from Panay Sewell's pro day? So I thought the numbers were pretty were pretty solid. It's kind of hard to judge from an offensive tackle. Yeah. Because I feel like you could be an athletic freak at offensive tackle, but that doesn't translate. It's kind of like quarterback. Like it, it doesn't always translate. Because remember – I remember I was very adamant about – remember Orlando Brown when he had the low, low reps on the bench press? Yeah. Then you watch film and he's pancaking people. Like sometimes things don't translate to a workout. But, no, I I do agree that the smoke screen for Jamar Chase is kind of getting heavy. Like it feels like it's like they're making it too obvious with the way they're saying best player available, best player available. Like Duke Tobin in an interview was saying, like we're in a position to take best player available. Yeah. But that and that all I mean that leads to either Pitts or Chase in your mind. But I think honestly that they're thinking Sewell. Yeah. I I have um I texted you this last week. I've made my opinion, uh official opinion on who I think the Bengals who I would most like the Bengals to select. And that's Kyle Pitts. I think he is the most freakish athlete in this draft. And I think he adds just a totally new element to this offense, but um, Panay Sewell is the pick. He should be the pick. If we are committed to protecting Joe Burrow, he should be the pick. Anthony Munoz talking in his ring of honor press conference on Thursday said that he would pick Panay Sewell. And when you're, when the greatest offensive lineman of all time is telling you to pick Panay Sewell, uh, I would encourage that you follow that advice. I, I would agree. I, I saw that. I, I, I saw that interview and, I read that, or, you know, and I, I do agree. I think it should be Sewell, but it's kind of hard when Jamar Chase, who ran sub 4-4, and Kyle Pitts, who ran a 4-4 at 250, 6-5, and 5-8. It's kind of hard to pass on those dudes, but I, th- I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. If we're committed to protecting Joe Burrow, it's, it's, it's what has to happen. So you say if, if, if we draft Sewell, then he just slides into left guard? I don't know. I – because the Penesul press conference was really interesting. He seemed to be pretty adamant about not wanting to slide into guard. Yeah. Um, you know, if he comes into camp and he starts whipping ass at tackle, uh, Jonah Williams, sorry, you're moving into guard. Um, well, yeah, the, I mean, I think the best player in camp should play tackle regardless of who we dress. Yes, yes, because in the AFC North, while the defensive, while the interior defensive line is is pretty solid uh, on Pittsburgh and Baltimore, when you got to go up against guys like Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt, um, do the Ravens still have? No, Yannick Ngakwe signed elsewhere. Um, they have Tyus Bowser still. Though. They have Tyus Tyus Bowser. When you got to go up against those guys six times Even a year, Patrick Queen is the rusher. Oh, yeah, God, like what's on the outside? We you need two bookends on the outside, and Jonah can slide into guard and then he can move to right tackle next year. But I think Panay Sewell is the left tackle, of the future for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so I would, I would heavily encourage them to consider taking him at five. Absolutely. Now real quick, just, just real quick. Um, so I see a lot of mock drafts having Rashawn Slater. So just real quick. What's your opinion on Rashawn Slater or Sewell? Cause I've been seeing Slater on a lot of mock drafts. I, I don't understand it. Um, I think the argument that a lot of people are using to mock Slater to the Bengals at five 
is that he's got the position position versatility that maybe Panay Sewell doesn't. Um, but to me, it's mystifying. I mean, Panay Sewell has the only bad tendency that Panay Sewell has that I have seen people critique him for is playing out over his toes because his arms are not the longest. But Panay Sewell is a freak of an athlete. Oh, absolutely. The man was 331 pounds and he ran a 5.0940. That's insane. Yeah, he's big. I mean, he's big. And I, I, I agree. I think that, um, I think that Rashawn Slater is more versatile, but I think that if the Bengals are true to their word with best player available, there's no way they pick Rashawn Slater at five. No. And you know, I am so just a quick tangent. I am so tired of the, of the national media narrative that either the Bengals don't know how to draft or the Bengals always somehow screw it up or that the Bengals are some second rate organization. Um, and that is what they're using to justify mocking Rashawn Slater to the Bengals because they just, they, they don't think a whole lot of the Bengals. So I'm over that narrative. I'm also totally unrelated to the Bengals. I'm over the Justin Fields narrative. Um, the only draft experts that I am trusting this season are Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper. Everybody else has just lost my total and utter respect. Chris Sims, no, don't listen to him. Don't listen to Florio. None of those guys know what they're talking about. Um, so th- that's kind of my spiel on that. I don't know how you feel about that. I've all, you know, to be honest, I there, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, including us. So, yes. um, and really, to be honest, we. I mean, we, our opinions are just opinions. Like, it's yeah. not like we have inside information. It's not like we just read about inside information. You know what I mean? We don't have, a, you know, a firsthand account. But, I, I mean, I've only basically always listened to Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper, regardless anyway. Yeah. So, maybe Mike Mayock. When he, I used to listen to Mike Mayock when he was on NFL Network. But Yeah. Um, Mike Florio uh, has it out for the Bengals. Um, the Bengals will never take a right step in his mind. Um Joe Burrow, as you recall, he's him saying Joe Burrow didn't want to play for the Bengals. Uh, well, that narrative was proven utterly false. So um, if Bengals fans out there, if you're ever going to listen to somebody talk about the Cincinnati Bengals in the national media, I would encourage maybe you listen to somebody like Chris Collinsworth that knows the Cincinnati Bengals. Do not listen to Mike Florio, most unknowledgeable person about this franchise on the face of the planet. That's all I have to say. Just now, a little tangent for this Friday. Yes, I am. I am so over him. All right, let's talk about the defense. Perfect. So, as we discussed kind of last week, this looks like a draft where the Bengals load up on the offense, um, just because that seems to be where the most holes that they have left existing are. But nonetheless, I think that there is a chance that we could see them maybe go a little bit more defensive than we expect. Let's start with this question. I know what your answer is going to be. Micah Parsons at five. Is it at all a viable option? Um, Hell no. <laughs> Need Sewell Pitts or Chase, I think, at five. I think I, I don't think you go Micah Parsons at five. Um, best defensive player in the draft, though, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt. Um, so where, so I think that we're looking at a situation where 
Um, the Bengals are going to go O-line receiver in some combination the first two rounds. I think the third round is where you see them take a defensive guy. And I think we're either looking at one of two ways that they go. I think they're either going to take the three technique of the future at that spot, or I think they go with um, with a kind of freaky, like rangy type athletic uh, edge rusher guy. Just what do you think about their draft strategy and how it's setting up for them to potentially address more on the defensive line as the draft goes on? So I do agree with you with the O-line wide receiver combo because, I mean, those are the two – those are probably the two biggest needs on offense other than tight end. But we talked about that last week. But yeah, get a third receiver I think is more important. But, yeah, I, I do think in the third and fourth rounds they will address in some aspect an edge rusher, interior D lineman, the three-tech. But I don't know – I really don't know, um, you know, the, the order that, that 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 will come in. Because yeah. then we also said that they need a backup running back for mm-hmm. the future. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think – I here's what I think. Obviously, I think the Bengals are going to go Panay Sewell at five. Um, we can debate till the sun comes up who they should take, but I think they end up taking Panay Sewell. So let's say the Bengals come on the board at 38. I think if Carlos Basham Jr., who's a big burly edge out of Wake Forest, um, kind of reminds you of maybe like um, – I don't know exactly what his player type comp would be in, in the minds of Bengals fans, but he's a big guy and he's very athletic. I think if he's sitting there at 38, I think if Jason Owe, who is an extremely athletic defensive end from Penn state, I think if either of those two guys are there at 38, that there is strong, strong consideration about passing over wide receiver at 38 and going with one of those two guys. Yeah. I mean, and, and, it's just, this all ties back to Mr. Tobin talking about best player available. Yes. Because if they believe that one of those edge rushers is graded higher than a receiver on the board, then um, I would not be surprised. Also, they said that um, they have a lot of guys, you know, graded as first rounders in, in the offensive line room. So I think, honestly, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they went back to back with O-linemen as well. And I wouldn't be mad about it. No, I wouldn't be mad. If, if yeah, so if they come on the board at 38 yeah. and Wyatt Davis is there, I think, and you've already taken Panay Sewell. I mean, could you imagine an offensive line with Jonah, Riley, Panay, Wyatt Davis, and Trey Hopkins? That automatically, that becomes a strength on your football team. Uh, that is, I mean, Jonah and Trey were on the line last year, but that's three huge upgrades, in my yes. opinion, over the line last year. We don't have to see Alex Redman try to play guard anymore that was that was just terrible ridiculous um but kind of going back to the defensive discussion i think that they're so this this is definitely not the most talented defensive class that we've seen in the past five or six years the talent on the defensive side of the ball is more concentrated at the back end um i think we could see four cornerbacks come off the board in the first round um and I was in the cornerback camp for a little bit uh, and obviously have moved since to the offensive um, camp. But um, I think that we're looking at a late round corner addition that can play special teams. Um, a guy that I have circled, really athletic guy uh, out of central Arkansas is Robert Rochelle. Uh, rangy, athletic, big, um, kind of all the tools you want in a developmental type guy. Um, I, I really, I only, I think we're looking at two, maybe three defensive guys taken in this draft. 
and I think it'll be two defensive linemen and a, and a secondary piece, to be honest with you. Yeah, because I think, you know, with the linebacker situation, I think Akeem Davis-Gaither, you know, Logan Wilson, and then, um, you know, Jermaine Pratt. So I think you got to give them more time. Yes. Because I don't think, going back to your Micah Parsons at five, just, just for a second, I think that drafting a linebacker that high, you're, you're basically giving up on one of them. Yeah. So I think you give them more time. And also, you don't have to rebuild this thing in, in one year. No. I know they're doing a lot of good things in free agency, but they killed the draft last year. So if they had, if they kill another draft, this draft, and then next draft, they'll be in a great position, in my yeah. opinion. So um, there is a lot of depth at the edge rusher position. I mean, there is maybe two guys that'll go in the first round, and that's Aziz Ojulieri from Georgia um, and Quiddy Pay from School Up North. Uh, those guys are probably locks to go in the first round. As you go down the board, there is a lot of talent concentrated in rounds two through five that the Bengals can exploit. You've got a 6'6 guy with an 84-inch wingspan. It's Peyton Turner out of Houston. Um, wingspan. It should be in the NBA. He's got an insane athletic profile. He's been hampered by injuries a little bit. I could see the Bengals taking a pass on a guy like him. Um, and, and there's a bevy of other guys that I could see them, you know, taking a shot at. Um, but I definitely think we're looking at hammering the D line now kind of switching from the edge rusher guys that, that I think they target interior guys. Um, I think that they will get the three technique of the future in, in, in this draft. Forget not, not you, obviously you remember, uh, Geno Atkins was a fourth round pick, um, when he was drafted. So the Bengals, uh, you know, that's only one example, but there are other examples throughout Bengals history of them doing a good job of identifying defensive line talent in the later rounds and taking advantage of that. Carl Lawson, uh, another example. So I think a three technique in the third or the fourth round is extremely likely. Um, and I think a guy, Milton Williams, is, is a guy that I really like. Um, I was about to bring his name up. Yeah out of Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech has a pretty good history, good defensive line prospects. Uh, Vernon Butler a couple of years ago, uh, drafted by Carolina in the first round. Jalen Ferguson, the career leader in FBSX. Yeah. Um, Lots of good defensive line prospects coming out of of Louisiana Tech. Milton Williams is explosive. He is, uh, he's very athletic for a three technique and he's got a little position versatility on the interior. So him in the third or the fourth round, I think would be uh, a guy that I would say the Bengals will and should target. Um, there's not a whole lot of depth at the interior defensive line. You've got Tommy Togiai, who we discussed last week um, as, a, as a potential three technique if he's sitting there in the third round, I think. Um, just what do you think about the interior defensive line? Obviously, it's kind of Christian Barmore out of Alabama and then everybody else. Um where do you think that position lies uh, for the Bengals as far as draft strategy goes? So I'm really big on Milton Williams too. I watched, you know, some highlights from him and I know highlights don't really tell everything, but I've read some more stuff about his, you know, draft grade. And I think he could be really, really good. Yes. Um, But I also think that, you know, we're talking about, you know, who they should go with in the third and fourth round. All I want from a Bengals fan 
and I don't really care what position it is. I just want them to draft good football players. Yeah. Because I think if you draft good football players, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, I think I think I think that takes care of itself. But I do I I do think they need to address interior D line because Mike Daniels is basically a one year rental, and, yeah. and I think so. I I, I think that you got to have a guy for the future. So yes. Now I think one guy, one guy I am looking at that. I would jump all over if he falls into my lap at pick 69. Nice. Is um, Aleem McNeil, defensive lineman out of NC State. He fits more of a DJ reader type, but he can also get after the passer. Um, and I kind of like his tape. Uh, I like the way he kind of fits in the Bengal scheme. And I would not be shocked if they go, instead of going edge rusher in the third, I would not be shocked if if Aleem McNeil or Milton Williams is there at pick 69 in the third round. I think that they will go interior instead of exterior. Yeah, and I think with with the pick at 69, I think that, you know, and I guess in in both of our opinions at this point, from what I've heard from you, they should just go best available from the deep, from from the interior or the edge rushers. Just best, best player they think is on the board, highest grade, so. Because, you know, we haven't seen extensions for Jesse Bates or Sam Hubbard. I think that that was part of the reason to cut Geo is I think that some of that money is going to be directed to extensions for those guys. So, but, but with that, the only guys that you have solidified on your defensive line for the next three years at that point are Reader, Hubbard, and Hendrickson is only guaranteed for two years um, with his contract structure. So you need to beef up the defensive line depth, not only the depth, but also think about the future going forward. Because as you said, Mike Daniels is by no means a long-term answer at the three technique. Um, Amani Bledsoe is not the answer. Uh, Josh Tupo, I don't think he's the answer either. He's had some good tape with the Bengals, but they need a good, solid future projection worthy three technique um and i think that the talent in this draft is such that the sweet spot for those guys is going to be third or fourth round yeah yeah and then i I agree with that and i think that um i I think the guy could be there you know this draft with the people that will be available or project to be available at that time i think that he could be there yeah and the bengals uh just kind of one last note on defense the bengals as we know from since zach taylor got here they have this big thing of selecting these guys that held leadership positions on their past teams. We look, uh, Ricardo Allen, who they just signed to play safety a couple weeks ago, team captain on Atlanta, uh, Riley reef, known locker room guy. Uh, I think six, six of the seven guys they took last year were team captains. Um, Jonathan Cooper is a guy I think almost certainly the Bengals will take a look at in the later rounds, sixth round or so. Um, But remember, keep that in the back of your mind, fans, uh, as the Bengals sit on the clock in those later rounds, that uh, character in the later rounds is just as important as projectable traits, at least for the Bengals. So that could influence a pick. Uh, Whether we agree or disagree with that, that could influence a pick in the later rounds. You know, but – I think to Zach Taylor's credit, I think that really builds a strong locker room though. If people have held leadership positions before, even though they're not going to be in leadership positions right away, I think it helps. Definitely agree. And um, 
kind of this whole discussion was a roundabout way of saying, I don't expect the Bengals to go defense until the third round. Um, I would not be shocked if they wait until day three to start hitting the defense. Um, But when they hit it, almost certainly expect it to be on the defensive line. Yeah, because uh, as I said before, the 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 linebackers are young. You you don't want to give up any give up on any of them. And then the DBs. I mean, they signed three DBs. So yeah, once they get Jesse Bates extended, they have their entire secondary signed through twenty twenty three. So that really can be a need that's kind of pushed off down the road. Um. So that that's kind of all I guess we have to say about the defense. Um, defensive line is is defensive line of the future is really the big need and the big area of of address that uh, they're going to hit. Um, so I don't think there's a whole lot else to say there. No, I mean I, I mean I think we touched on everything. Just interior D line, edge rusher of the future. So we got to figure that out. All right. So well, speaking of Bengals late round defensive draft picks. Um, today let's just, let's just kind of throw around a couple of names, some of our favorite guys, uh, that they've taken late in the draft that have been really stalwart defensive players, uh, for the franchise. Um, I've got a couple of guys in mind. I don't know if you've thought of your guys. Um, I can go ahead and start. You can start. I don't know how you want to do this. Just our favorite kind of late round defensive draft picks. Okay. Yeah. You go, you gotta go first. Well, I'm going to go with an undrafted guy, and I've been stewing on this one for a long time. I think you already know who it's going to be. Okay. Um, little Vontez Perfect. Okay. Yes, he was Vontez Perfect. Very penalty prone, um, but he led the NFL in tackles. Was that 2015? Yeah, he was. Was he? He was he an All Pro or was he just a Pro Bowler? I think he might have been just a Pro Bowler. Um, obviously on the field issues, um, lots of penalties, you know, um, nobody's perfect, but Vontez was definitely not. Um, but nonetheless, he was the engine of those good to, dare we say, great Bengals defenses of the mid 2010s. Um, I mean, they, they were, I would say they were great. They were top five. Yeah. He was a solid NFL player, um, and I really enjoyed uh, the swagger and the flair that he brought to the Bengals' defense. He he made the Bengals uh, kind of what I wish they – kind of what I think the Steelers are. He made that. He made them physical. You didn't want to come over the middle. Um, he brought that edge to the Bengals that I fell in love with as a non-swaggy 15-year-old. Yeah, Exactly. Um, okay, I got a guy, um, and he was more of a special teams guy, but Clayton Fedulum. Oh man, seventh rounder. Yeah, he he was. I mean, he was special teams, special teams captain. I mean, so yeah, and it, it's really a shame that Miami was able to pluck him away from the Bengals because he was he was damn good on special teams. I mean, he was our Math- Matthew Slater for. Yeah. He made, he made a pro bowl too. He did. He yeah. did. Um, I guess I'll go with another guy. Um, I'll let you take the obvious guy next. Um, okay. I'm going to go with George Iloka. Okay. Um, yeah. I, yeah. That's, that, that's who I was going to go with. If you want the obvious guy. 
Oh no, I was thinking of a more obvious guy. Uh, oh no, I know, I, I see him. I, I I see him. Don't worry. Um, but George Iloka, just a really rock solid player for the Bengals for four or five years there. Um, kind of got lost in the mix when when Jesse Bates came in, but um, George Iloka, just as much as Vontez Perfect was a big part of those defenses, Iloka was also a big part of those defenses. Big rangy safety. He brought the wood. You knew he was going to be there when the ball got there. Um, and I really loved watching George Iloka play safety for the Bengals. Oh, I, those were the day. Like, I love, we talked about it two episodes ago. I loved George Iloka. Yeah. Love that man. All right. I'll go the obvious one. I'll get it out of the way. I think, I think we're thinking of the same person. We think yeah. of Doma Topeco. <laughs> it's not about somebody else. The- but still, still a great selection. Okay, who were who, who you thinking? Uh, Geno Atkins. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I thought we were. I, I just thought we were skipping over. That was just too obvious. Well, yeah, that was the most obvious. But I love Domita Pecco. Yeah, Domita. Yeah, he drafted in the fourth round. I mean, Bengals. I mean, you could say Bengals legend. Yeah, I, definitely a Bengals legend. He he was the glue of that defensive line. Yeah, and what's crazy is he played until last year. I didn't know that. Was he on Denver last year? Uh, yeah. 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 That's crazy. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that. I remember he left the Bengals. He was in Arizona, um, Denver. Yeah, yeah. Then Baltimore for, for a year. Baltimore. Oh, little Benedict Arnold turncoat action. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll go with one more guy. Uh, Sean Williams obviously just left the Bengals um, for greener pastures. But that safety duo of Sean Williams and George Iloka and Sean Williams and Reggie Nelson was really a solid uh, back end for the Bengals for several years there. And Sean Williams never will get his credit um, as a Bengal safety, but he was vitally important on a lot of those teams. I think he was the one that um, intercepted Big Ben, um, one of those one of those he Pittsburgh was. games. He was, he was. Yeah. He was a great, and he was a wonderful uh, addition to the Bengals. Um, I will forever uh, thank him for his services the Bengals to the Bengals. Uh, he took a very diminished role last year, didn't complain once, um, and he leaves Cincinnati in in the highest esteem, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think Sean Williams is a very uh, he didn't do anything great, but I think he did everything solid. I yes. think he was what you want you know, in at least one of your safeties, he could tackle, he could cover. He's not going to get burned. I think he's just very solid. So yeah. Loved watching him play. Oh, absolutely. All right. You got one more guy and then trivia. Yep. All right. So when I was looking through this, I mean, <laughs> we basically already said all the guys, um, but technically you went with, the third rounder, so I'll go the third rounder too. I'll go Michael Johnson from 2000. Oh, great pick. Yeah. It's yeah, Michael. I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just a, an elite defender for us. So. Yeah. Tall guy. Really tall. Tall. Very tall. Taller than tall. All right. You got a trivia question for us today? I do. All right. So Let's trivia question of the day. What or not what? How many? You might get this because of the interview. How many games did Anthony Munoz play in college? I remember it was a really low number. Really low. Um, 
Man. Well, how many seasons was he at USC? Was he there for so three? I think so. I, I was just going off junior and senior year. How many games did he play? I think it was 16, wasn't it? It was 16, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the crazy – as he said in his interview yesterday, a lot of teams – and um, I think it was Bill Parcells um, said that when he was – who was he coaching at that point in time? Uh, the Giants? Yeah. When he was coaching yeah. the Giants, he wanted to take Munoz, uh, and they wouldn't let him because of his injury history. And um, by the late 80s, after Parcells had won his two Super Bowls with the Giants, he kind of looked at the ownership group and said, uh, well, could, could I uh, could I take Munoz now? You want to take that back? Yeah. Um, no, what a – I mean, he is the best offensive lineman in the history of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, listen, nine-time first-team All-Pro, 11-time Pro Bowler. The only I mean, so, so I saw this on Twitter yesterday. The only two players uh, since the merger to be an eight-time All-Pro or more are who? Uh, well, one of them is. Well, Tom Brady. No, Tom no, Brady. no, no. One of them is the guy you just mentioned. Who, Anthony Munoz? Yeah. So two guys, eight-time All-Pro or more since the All merger. Right. Can you Anthony, give me a position? Who else? Can you give me a position? Wide receiver. Oh, God. Um, since the merger, was it Jerry Rice? Yeah. Two guys. That's crazy. Yeah. But now, Great. to be fair, to be fair, Jerry played for 37 years, <laughs> and uh, Anthony Munoz only played for 12. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anthony Munoz, um, and you've seen, you've seen his pinky, too? Yeah. 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 Toughest, yeah, toughest son of a gun. Um, maybe to ever play the game. There was nope. a there was a good story about him. I don't know who said it, but they used to say that he used to run ten miles, um, like every day or something, uh, something crazy like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. He he was a freak athlete. I mean, legend. Also, four receiving touchdowns for his career. So really, yeah, didn't know that. How about that? And he thinks the Bengals should take Panay Sewell. So he just right. just, just take Sewell. Just take Sewell. Let's just, just take him. Just build up that equity, Anthony. Yeah, just, let's just take him. Um, well, that was a great trivia question. I loved love Anthony Munoz. How can he not? Um, with that, I think it's time to get up out of here after we give a Reds update. You go first on this one. Folks, I am – full pot committed um last week we said they suck this week i'm ready to buy world series tickets um i don't think my opinion has changed more in seven days than in, in this than anything in my life ever this team i have never seen this team the reds play with so much swagger so much edge i mean it's it's i'm gonna say the first f-bomb of the show it's fucking cool to be a reds fan now it's cool Castellano, and now imagine that I got oh, I get so mad when I when I when I think about this. This team would be have the most swag of all time if we still had Trevor Bauer. It would be overpowering. Oh my god. It would god. be overpowering. It would be insane. This is this these reds are extremely reminiscent of the edge that uh that the 76 reds played with. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's small ball. It's small ball. It's, we were we were we were bitching all last year about small ball while while Jesse Winker's trying to hit bombs 
you know, in the Scott Shebler days where you strike out three times a game. But I think that they're finally playing small ball. Jonathan India is popping. I think they're good. So, yeah, Jonathan India. Um, I know Cabrian Hayes for the Pirates is probably the favorite. Um, Jonathan India, NL Rookie of the Year. I mean, through the first <laughs> through the first week, Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I I, I love this team. Um, big road trip coming up for the Reds. Um, they play six games against six really bad teams. Uh, this needs to be a winning road trip. Three in Arizona starting tonight. Tonight's Friday. Uh, three in Arizona starting tonight. Then three in San Francisco. Uh, need to go at least four and two, I think. Yeah, I, I think four and two is the goal. I think you just have to win. I think their goal should just to be try to win every series. You don't have to, I mean, obviously a sweep is not attainable, so. Win every series, I agree. Um, and even just looking, projecting back into the future, um, looking at the red schedule, the month of April is extremely light. They they come back from this road trip, then they play the Indians and the Diamondbacks at home. And no offense to my Cleveland Indians fans, the Indians are not good. Um, then I believe they get the Pirates again, and then by that point, you got to think Sonny Gray is back, and Michael Lorenzen's back, so the pitching improves. And then Shogo comes back mid-May, and by the time Shogo comes back, the Reds, we could be talking four or five games ahead in the Central, I think. I think. I think it'll depend on how the Cardinals play. But I agree. The Cardinals, I Cardinals. the Cardinals' offense is scary. But obviously the Reds are not going to continue scoring 10 runs a game. I don't think anybody's naive enough to think that. But if if – Suarez can get it going. Um, this is scary. You could say Joey too. I yeah. think Joey's got nothing to think. Joey's hitting the ball though. He's hitting it hard. He's hitting it hard. Joey's hitting the ball hard. Suarez, Suarez looks lost at the plate. He just, I mean, the same thing as last year, pulling the head. I, I mean, he looks like a guy that dropped acid and decided to walk up to the batter's box. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I mean, just watch his two strikes go down the middle and then. This the curveball below the zone, pull the head, it's over. Yeah, he's he's not looking good right now. Hopefully this road trip gets him going. Um, but like I said, important road trip for the Reds, first road trip of the season. They're knocking out half of the West's road trip. Uh still have San Diego and Dodgers obviously left on the West Coast. But after this week, they only have those two series left on the West Coast. So I always like to get those out of the way early in the season before the dog days of August hit. Mm. Um and then, like I said, they come back home and they have once again six winnable games. I think we're looking. I think we're in a good position right now. I know it's only April, so very but. good position. Um, so that was a much longer episode than I expected. Um, I think it's time to get up out of here. Next week, mock draft. Um, we are less than three weeks away from the start of the NFL draft in Cleveland. So next week, we're going to have our mock draft. And then the week after, not too sure what we're going to do yet. It might be a prolonged debate of the pick at number five with a couple other Bengals fans joining the podcast. Um, yet to see. But next week, mock draft. Um, cannot wait. Any last words, Grandin? Nope. Just excited for that mock draft and have a nice weekend. Who day? Who day? <laughs>